think it must be quite clear by now that we have two different directions and therefore also different methods, calm and insight, and that there are different methods to reach or to practice either one. Now, I've given several possibilities of methods for insight. But insight does not necessarily have to arise through a method. It can intuitively arise within when the mind has been calm. So another possibility for gaining insight is to do calm meditation and at the end to direct one's mind towards impermanence or the me idea that we have or whatever else the mind would like to inquire into and at that time if there has been real calm and peacefulness in the mind at that time the mind is totally at ease and can accept a totally new experience of the mind and body conglomeration which we call me intellectually or at a time when the mind is not in depth calm it's very difficult to see something totally different so that possibility also exists the methods are of course extremely useful because they give us a sort of a push in the right direction as far as calm is concerned calm and tranquility I have so far explained the very first absorption and the very first absorption which has five factors in it five concomitants that come together so that the mind has the ability to gain access to the happenings within which are usually covered over by thought or by emotion. The, these factors, these five, gradually are diminished until we are left only with one. In order to move from the first absorption to the second absorption, we particularly let go of two factors, initial and sustained application. Because the initial and sustained application is taken for granted at that time. We don't have to start watching the breath or something uh, else again the initial application has been taken care of and the sustained application has to be there 
in order to be in any osprey absorption. So those two are no longer of any interest to us. So what we are left with are three. And three are the PT, which is the very pleasant sensation, the sukha, which is, which is the joy, and the one-pointedness. The one-pointedness has to accompany any of the meditation um, processes. Now, when the mind has been able to uh, experience this very pleasant sensation, it also knows, after it has done it two or three times, that surely that can't be the reason for meditating. Although it's extremely pleasant, there's no doubt in the mind that that is not our aim or our goal. Very pleasant sensations are certainly very um, nice to have, but they certainly can't mean, be the meaning of meditation. So there is a very willing very great willingness to let go and experience further and it's quite natural that the next thing that is being experienced is a joy because that has already arisen together with the pleasant sensation in fact it's a natural outcome of it because there's no way one can't be joyful if one has very pleasant sensations now the word joy in English we really have only the one where we can say happiness instead of joy. But in Pali there are quite a number of words for joy. And the first word is Pamoja. And Pamoja is inner joy but not meditative. It's a joy which arises within, not through the five senses, sense contacts, but arises within through a certain satisfaction that the mind has. Now that kind of joy, the Buddha said, is an absolutely essential aspect of meditation, any meditation. And it arises in the following sequence, according to transcendental depend arising, which is one step further than that wheel of life and death, which I haven't explained, but which may mean something to you. And going from that wheel of life and death, which is dependent arising, everything arises dependent upon a former cause. There is a transcendental dependent arising, which brings us from the state that we're in now to complete liberation. And the state we're in now is described by the Buddha as Dukkha, which again does not mean that we have to sit here crying and uh, in, in terrible pain or fear or anxiety. We could, but we don't have to. 
Dukkha is the ordinary state of an ordinary human being which is a state of non-fulfillment, a state where unsatisfactoriness arises again and again. And that has to be completely understood and seen in oneself that this is the state we're in. Because only then do we really wish to have a different state. Because if we think that dukkha is arising because of some particular condition, because somebody or something particular has happened, and if that thing or person would not be happening, no dukkha, then, of course, our whole energy would be directed towards getting rid of that person or that thing or that situation. And we wouldn't have anything left over as far as time and energy is concerned in order to transcend the human condition because we thought and would think that the human condition provides that what we're looking for. So dukkha has to be penetrated at least so far that we know that the human condition we are in will never provide the way out. That it is nothing but our teacher. And that then brings us to trying to find something which is not based on the human condition, in other words, a spiritual path. And then our own wisdom and our intuitive insight will have to tell us when we hear the truth. The unvarnished truth, which is always connected with absolute truth. It isn't just not lying. That is part of it, naturally. But as far as the spiritual path is concerned, it has to be a teaching or an understanding that we get of absoluteness. Something which has nothing beyond it. And we have to be the ones that hear it and know it and understand it. We don't have to be able to follow through with it, but we have to have enough intuitive insight to know when it is being presented. And then confidence has to arise in the heart. Confidence and devotion. Devotion to that which goes beyond our human foibles and difficulties. Devotion to that which will take us out of any problem that we could ever have imagined because it has a totally different approach. That confidence and devotion is then the heart connection whereas the understanding and wisdom and intuitive insight of knowing when we hear the truth is our mind connection. And 
since we all have both, we have to make that double connection. One of them isn't enough. It is quite interesting that in the Buddhist countries, in the East, in Asia, the heart connection is much stronger than the mind connection. There's a great deal of devotion and there's a great deal of confidence. In fact, blind faith very often. But the mind connection, namely the analysis and the understanding of where this leads to that, is very often nothing. And in the West, it's exactly the other way around. We have good analytical minds, and we very often can understand what's going on. But do we also love it? And when we don't, we won't make any progress. It's not possible. Because we have to have the complete and wholehearted giving of ourselves and not the half-hearted. If it's half, which is either only the mind, in our case, probably that, then one half of us is in there and the other half is outside. And when the other half is outside, how can we do anything? We will understand, we will dissect, we will analyze, we might even sit down to meditate now and then and then what? nothing it's all very interesting but it has to have an entirely different approach it has to have that feeling of this means me and when it means me then of course my own heart is connected to it. And that comes about when our intuitive understanding and our wisdom, of which all of us have sufficient, is not kept outside of our feelings. When we realize how the two have to work together. Now, some people have always lead with their chin, in other words, with their emotions, but not necessarily purified emotions. And if one has done that, if one knows about oneself, that emotionally one is easily connected, then one has to make a special effort to analyze and understand and if one knows about oneself, that one easily understands, then one has to make a special effort to arouse devotion, respect, gratitude, and that kind of feeling that gives the confidence of giving oneself. If we have a partnership with another person, marriage or otherwise, and we are only connected through our mind. In other words, we understand the other person quite well, but there's absolutely no heart in it. Well, it's not going to be a very long lasting, is it? In fact, it's totally unsatisfactory. 
And if we have a hot connection to the other person, it's far more satisfactory. But if we don't understand the other person at all, it's also not going to last. A relationship to our own spiritual life, which goes on within, whether we know it or not anyway, is far closer and far more important than any relationship to another person. So if we can see that both of our abilities, the feeling and the thinking, need to be involved, then, having understood that, then we have to start seeing where is anything lacking. If nothing is lacking, we are giving ourselves wholeheartedly. We're going to have Splendid results. Have no doubt about it. It happens over and over again. But the one that just wants to understand it and hasn't got any love for it will usually go around in circles. And whereas the ones that just love it because it's very nice and uh, it gives one a feeling of being in a nice environment or something like that, whatever it may be, or because one likes to believe something and don't understand anything. It gives one a good feeling, but no change. Everything remains the same. In the West, it is um, usually far more the mind connection, but that too is only a generality and may not always be true. We usually associate our logical thinking with the masculine part in us and the feeling with the feminine part in us. And we make great, a great deal of distinction between male and female. But in reality, all of us have both. All of us can think and all of us can feel. And whichever side of us, we try to foster more that's strictly a matter of our own choice. Sometimes it is a matter of education and environment, but as soon as we're grown up, it's our own choice. So all of us have the male and the female within, as far as thought and feeling is concerned. And it is very important that we find out which side of us we have developed more and which one has been in the background so that we can do something about it. In order to really have the development of our spirituality at, on hand and at hand, this is a very important point. If we can't love what we're doing, we're not going to do it. It's impossible. Why should we? Nobody is that masochistic to do things they don't love. One forces oneself once in a while 
to overcome resistance and do something. But if there isn't behind that overcoming and enduring the connection to one's love, confidence, devotion and respect, one might do it once but never again. Enduring and overcoming are part of a spiritual path, are part of a human life, no matter what we do. So whatever it is, what we're doing, the loving and devotion and feeling aspect that we are really having the opportunity of doing something much greater than we ever thought we could or would, that part of us needs to be developed. Having done so, joy arises. Now that's a pomoja, the worldly kind of joy, but not the kind of pleasure that we get through the senses. The pleasure we get through the senses can create a joyful feeling, but because it is so very short-lived, the sense contact, and because it also is so dependent upon the proper sense contact being available, because of that, it doesn't have the impact on us. On the contrary, it can make us even more restless because we may have to go and look for the new sense contact to have that pleasure again. But if we have made the heart and mind connection to a spiritual journey within and have started to understand and to love and both are equally important, then the joy from that will carry us through any of the difficulties which we might encounter on the path. Nobody gets away without difficulties in life. Why should we get away without difficulties on the spiritual path? No reason whatsoever. Everybody gets them, here, there, at some time. But the joy of knowing that this is what I understand and what I love takes one over those hurdles. This joy is necessary to have before the meditation can flourish. And the transcendental dependent arising, which is one of the Buddhist discourses, which gives cause and effect, it goes in that order. Understanding dukkha, no longer wondering and hoping that if we are just a little bit cleverer than we were last time, that it's going to work. But knowing that it is a matter of transcending. And from that, being able to hear spiritual teaching, understanding the truth, the absolute truth, and seeing that in it, and gaining the devotion of the heart to it and then experiencing joy. Those are the steps 
in that particular progression which leads to meditation. So you can see from that that there are many prerequisites for successful meditation. And if these prerequisites come together and we can all bring them together, there's no doubt that meditation will work very well. And when it starts working very well, we are able to have different levels of consciousness which take us away from the marketplace consciousness which is constantly concerned with duality with out there and in here and all the rest which I've already mentioned and a consciousness which eventually unites with all there is the first four of the meditative absorptions are called the Rupa Jhanas. Now meditative absorptions are called Jhanas and it is so much shorter a word that I would like to use it. J-H-A-N-A and the F at the end is the uh, uh, English anglicized version of the plural doesn't exist in Pali and F at the end but anyway it's easier to say it that way. So meditative absorptions are called jhanas in Pali. And the first four are called the rupa jhanas. Now rupa actually means body. But here what it denotes are the fine material absorptions. And fine material denotes that it is still in the realm of materiality but it is very fine it is much more subtle than the materiality that we are usually concerned with so as it applies to the very first one which I have explained with its five factors the very pleasant sensation which arises is one which has its counterpart in a very pleasant touch sensation that we know from our ordinary lives only. It's much more subtle, much more satisfying. It has qualitatively and quantitatively a far greater range and it is independent of a sense contact. And that already brings us to a different level of consciousness. And this is actually what most people who haven't heard, read or done anything about meditation would, would like to get out of meditation, a different level of consciousness. And there's no reason why they shouldn't. It's exactly what the Buddha taught. It's exactly what the Buddha did. It's he himself went that way. He himself taught that way. And because we go along those eight steps of different levels of consciousness, we get nearer and nearer to understanding what it means to be without the ego illusion. So the first one has the physical aspect, but in a much more subtle way. Now the second one 
which then has joy in it as its meditation subject, again has <clears throat> something which we know out of our worldly life, we know joy, but it is far more subtle, it has a much greater range, and it is occasioned strictly through concentration, not because somebody said, did, gave me something, I heard, saw, touched, ate, nothing like it, just concentration. So from that we learn a lot, having experienced it. We learn that this joy lives within us. It lives within us just as the anger does. And it needs the right trigger. And the right trigger is concentration. And knowing that, we're no longer quite so keen on the pleasant sense contact. There's always a fear when people hear this that they're not supposed to enjoy a beautiful flower, a nice sunset. That's not what it is at all. The joy that we get in the second meditative absorption is of such, so much greater quality, so much greater content that the enjoyment of a sunset pales in comparison. It has no connection anymore. The sense contact, which remains pleasant, sunsets are nice, flowers are nice, but there's no comparison anymore. It's not in the same league. And therefore, while it exists and is appreciated, it doesn't have an intrinsic value. We see that we have so far lived in a pretty gray area of our own consciousness. Because getting into the meditative absorptions and experiencing the results of the concentration mind you anybody can concentrate if they're at it long enough we enter into a realm of so much more content and beauty that all the sense contacts have no real pull we have them. We can't live without our sense contact. As long as we've got eyes, we will see. As long as we've got ears, we will hear. It's not meant that we're going to go around with our eyes closed, with our ears full of cotton wool, with our nose stuffed up and never eat anything decent anymore. Not at all. It's got no, no connotation at all. But none of it has the pull that it used to have. And because it doesn't pull us, we can see the world objectively. And seeing the world objectively eventually leads us 
to seeing the world the way it really is and not the way we would like it to be or we thought it could be or we were hoping that it might be one day or if everybody else would be complying with our wishes maybe it would work out that way none of it has any bearing on the reality of what the world is so the joy that we have known already even the joy of the spiritual path is a um, very faint example of the kind of joy that we can have in the Medici's absorption from a practical standpoint if the concentration has come to that point we let the pleasant sensation go into the background of our attention and bring the joy in the foreground because the joy is present at the same time as the pleasant sensation so at that time of the second absorption second jhana we have three factors we have the sensation the joy and the one-pointedness but the joy is the meditation subject and because it is an emotion it is more more subtle than the sensation we had and you will see from that and if I explain the others to you also you will see from that that the meditative process becomes more and more subtle as we go on because we reach much finer areas of the mind where the growth of our likes and dislikes eventually has absolutely no place in it at all because we're reaching an area <coughs> within which has gone beyond that we've all got it there's nobody exempt it's a matter of finding the right trigger it's just the same jack-in-the-box effect it's exactly the same we've got the jack-in-the-box effect for all our negativities we've got the same effect for our positivities and all we have to do is get in the right situation where all the preconditions that I have already mentioned for meditation have been established so that we can then sit down and concentrate if we get an inkling what it means to concentrate it will help us because at that time the mind knows there is some peace to be had all I have to do is stop thinking and knowing that it helps us a great deal so whenever there has been a concentrated meditation we can already notice too that the breath becomes more subtle concentration brings with it a more subtle appearance of the whole person than when we are just 
scattered. So that in itself, the finer breath, shows already that as we go along the meditative path, everything becomes finer and finer. It's very interesting that every single person carries all that within and so few ever get near it. And yet everybody spends all their life trying to find it. It's all there. Naturally we have to endure and overcome. We have to have patience, perseverance, determination, and quite a bit of wisdom already. Enough wisdom to recognize the impossibility in the world to find that what we're looking for. Money, yes, available in the world. People, sure. Belongings, materiality, everywhere. Anybody want that really? Most people have already said and thought many a time that that's not it. So then, what do we, what are we looking for? I think it would be of great importance for every single person that really has any interest in meditation to find out exactly what are they looking for make a list what do I want out of life what is it all about what do I want to do with my life what's the most important thing where do I go from here and how do I go about it there are very few things that can take priority very good to write them down and check them out again the next day and the next day and see whether they're still the same. The joy of the second jhana has another effect, namely the effect of self-confidence. When we are able to have joy without having to get anything without having to go anywhere without having to know anything without having to know anybody naturally we're self-confident because we've got in here what everybody's looking for that self-confidence is not a feeling of superiority on the contrary it creates compassion because obviously the person who's got it at one stage was also looking for it and knows quite well the difference between not having it and having it so there's a great deal of compassion Buddha's compassion was unlimited and that feeling of self-confidence is a feeling of not being vulnerable there's nobody there that can hurt one one carries within that which creates um, the protection 
Self-confidence is extremely important as an antidote for skeptical doubt. Skeptical doubt, of course, only, as I said, completely vanishes with screen entry. But the second jhana, which brings that inner joy, already removes it to such an extent that it's not so difficult anymore. No doubt. No doubt at all that finally that has arisen what has been important in one's life. The Buddha said about the meditative absorption, this is a pleasure I will allow myself. He said the sense pleasures are gross, but these pleasures are pleasures that we can allow ourselves because they refine the mind. Every human being is looking for some happiness, some joy, somewhere along the line. Nobody can really stay very sad for a long time because it turns into depression and that can become such a um, depth of unhappiness that there is no real clarity in the mind anymore. So if we find our happiness in this refined way within ourselves, we have already renounced the desire for sensual gratification, renounced it to the extent that it's no longer important. And renunciation is part of the spiritual path, and that doesn't necessarily mean being a monk or a nun because you can be a monk or a nun and haven't renounced a thing. It just looks like it. (laughs) (laughs) But then, when you do get the jhanas, and all you need is a bit of concentration, and you don't need all that much concentration, actually, to get to to those states, one renounces quite naturally. Why should one want something that isn't half or even one-tenth as satisfying as what one has already found in oneself. So one has that ability through the second jhana. One has the ability, the self-confidence ability, and the understanding, the complete and utter understanding that the world hasn't got it. One doesn't even have to wait for that first experience of Nibbana, which is called experimentary, when one knows for sure that the world hasn't got it. Even in the jhanas, one knows already. Although the jhanas are mundane, they are not transcendental. They are the mundane part of us which brings with it that possibility to go beyond. One of the important aspects also of that what I have been saying is the fact that the Buddha said joy has to be part of the meditative path. Now often I have seen and heard that people who think that there is some sort of holiness around somewhere that they make long faces and uh, walk very slowly 
and hardly answer when you talk to them. That's got nothing to do with holiness. Holiness is wholeness and wholeness contains joy. One has to like what one is doing. One has to enjoy it. If we don't enjoy it, why should we do it? We enjoy it and that joy carries into everything that's connected with the meditation. We maybe we enjoy that we can sit quietly for a certain length of time. So we're quite joyful about that. Not the other way around and thinking I should be able to sit for an hour and a half but I can only sit 40 minutes. No, I'm very happy that I can sit that long, whatever length of time it is. The enjoyment of what one is doing is such an important part, it can't be stressed enough. The enjoyment of knowing that here is a complete and precisely explained direction and roadmap which shows all the facets of a human being and the possibility to transcend. That joyfulness can embrace all spiritual paths. We don't have to think. And I think this is an important uh, aspect to be mentioned. We don't have to think just because we do. The meditation, according to the Buddha's instructions, that we are renouncing the religion that we were born into. Why should we? Why do we have to renounce anything? And before we remain in, we first have to learn to enter into it. The noting is that we know it's there. Then we have to know that we have to enter into it, which means that we can actually use it as our meditation subject. Then learn to remain in it. And that we can do according to our intention. And then, having done that, we have to be able to get out of it in a way which is useful. And then we have to be able to review it. So it is noting, entering, remaining, leaving it, and reviewing it. The leaving it means that we do not do it suddenly, we do it slowly. Because a different level of consciousness to come back to this one, to the ordinary one that we're in now, is like a transition. And this transition should not be done with a bang, but slowly and gently. And the leaving it will also have to have a usefulness in it. We shouldn't just get out and get up and go, but we should take our cue from what has happened and gain insight from it. All the meditative absorptions bring automatically some insight with them. Because the mind at that time is very clear and very quiet, it has a much greater 
facility to gain insight than at ordinary times. And that facility needs to be used. So the first thing that we notice is that too is impermanent. That's the most important thing not to forget because we're quite happy when our knee pain is impermanent but we're not so happy when this wonderful sensation is impermanent. But we have to know that that too is impermanent. And we have to watch it slide away. It doesn't totally disappear right at once, but it slides off. It dissolves. And so we see that. See that too is impermanent. And naturally, all the other things which I have said, that it doesn't need sense contact in order to have the joy that we're looking for, that we understand. And we have one more very important thing that we can understand from the jhanas and from any good meditation, that we can only have joy and peace if we let go of our ego assertion, at least temporarily. And that needs to be seen at the end of the meditation. During the time that this was happening, there was nobody there that had to be thinking, planning, hoping, remembering, getting bored or anxious, nobody there. All one had to do was be with the sensation or the emotion. Now there is an observer, but it's not one that wants to assert him or herself. The observer only vanishes at another point. But we can see from all that that the less we assert our me, the more happiness we can get. So the jhanas are not strictly only getting the mind calm, and often one hears that one shouldn't do it because one gets attached to it. To that I always say, well, it's better than being attached to cigarettes or ice cream so it hasn't got any real bearing on the matter because each of the jhanas brings a new insight and it brings a totally new world view if one uses it properly so we have those four things that are part of any meditation we have to note what's going on we have to become aware of what's going on and we have to enter into it fully and remain in it and then of course as we leave we use that and review afterwards what we have used as far as the sensations are concerned they are also of different kinds I've mentioned already several but some of them are very weak and so the Concentration will have to be on it a little longer to become aware of it. If some of them are momentary, so we have to learn to stay more concentrated. But some can be overwhelming and some can be inundating and some can be uplifting. They have all these possibilities. And as we become more skilled at doing that, we will know exactly which kind we should stay with for a little while, 
so that we can carry on. In the beginning, of course, one takes potluck. But for that also, from a practical standpoint, we have to do the fifth step, the reviewing, how did I get in there? What did steps did I take? And I've already mentioned that, that this applies to any meditation which we think was a good one. Review it before opening one's eyes to recognize what was the cause for having a better meditation than otherwise. Finding all sorts of helpful hints. All these helpful hints will eventually bring together meditation. Now the time to ask some questions, if you like. Hmm. Yes, it's uh, it's unfortunate. It does happen rarely, but it does happen sometimes. And uh, one else has to use a different kind of meditation subject, more insight than calm. See, a person that goes into trance just can't do calm meditation. Until they've gained more insight, the mind has become clearer. Because trance is useless. It's not, it's not calm meditation, it's nothing. A person who goes into trance gets, feels very tired at the end of meditation, wants to go to sleep afterwards. But meditation has actually the opposite effect. So a person who has that difficulty is one who should only be directed towards inside meditation, where the mind has to stay busy, has to do something, or contemplation also not calm. And then having gained insight, maybe the person can go also to calm. Anything else? Yes. Um, you just said um, that meditation doesn't kick in sleep until waking. Well, if it is, if it is uh, concentrated, it will give the mind a new impetus. Um, just because the last two nights I seem to be awake after the last um, the meta meditation. Mm. I seem to be very wide awake. So I don't think that um, because I have to get up early. But normally I think I could stay awake for a long time. So I don't want to sort of Not, not, <laughs> not necessary. Not necessary. If you feel <clears throat> that you're wide awake, stay here and meditate. And as, and the mind will then have its tiredness, and you go to bed then. If one meditates, um, like in a meditation course like this, and becomes just even a little concentrated one does need less sleep. So it's quite possible that you had that and that you needed less sleep, so try it. Stay there and meditate and see how long it will last. 
Sorry? The legs that we want to... Well, sit on a chair. <laughs> okay, anything else? Is it you get to the, the first of all, to this question of, of giving yourself to meditation, or giving yourself to, to the breath, when you... Is it, is it... Is the time to sort of give yourself to take that step when you notice that, you, that it's there and you've got to enter it? Or do you have to give yourself just to know it's there? <laughs> You have to give yourself to the whole thing, but at, at the moment you sit down. Mm, but is there a time when you, you almost choose to, to take that step or, or, or not? Or is it, is it more like you, like you see that? I'm not quite with you. Can you say that again? I'm not quite sure what you mean. Um, what step? What do you mean by the step? Well, um, to actually get to the first absorption, you've got to you've got to give yourself. Is there a sort of a time when you've got to sort of almost decide to to take the step of giving yourself? Was it mm. right uh, now? That time. But is that the sort of time when you sit down and start doing? No, meditation? now, even now, at this minute. Oh, so it's a continual process rather than a time you say you've noticed that it's there. And it's, it's, you've got to make an extra effort then. No. Uh, it's just gradual. It's, it's, it's your, your inner uh, readiness to give yourself to this path and to the meditation. And the more you're ready and the more you give yourself, the easier it is when you sit down to be with it. Of course, again, when you do sit down and the mind plays games, you can make that resolve again. So I'm going to give myself to this now. Right? But then when you have made the resolve, You've actually, actually got to do it. It's a, it's a, it's a letting go. It's a, it's a letting go. It's almost you can almost physically describe it as like that. Instead of going, <laughs> okay, Nikki. <coughs> Yeah. Um, if I just keep changing, get interested and concentrated in the meditation practices, uh, both and stopping, I'm really getting into it. And then suddenly I have a huge catch of breath for the last so many seconds or I don't know how long. I haven't been breathing. I have a big intake of breath which destroys concentration. Yeah. And I get back into concentration again and then another. Yeah. Okay. Um you haven't not not been breathing. <laughs> because you'd be dead by now. <laughs> we we wouldn't be able to talk to you right now. Um the breath has become so fine through the concentration that you weren't aware of it and when you become aware of that fact that's when you start thinking <gasps> doing that so instead of all that try to become aware of the fact that the breath has become so fine not only when it's become to the point where you feel you need to take this breath but earlier it's becoming so fine and then Go to the sensation and see what sensation is there. 
so that you don't get tempted into this breathtaking. Because when the breath is so fine, it may already be the point where the sensation can be found. But if you're not totally uh, alert to that, that's when you come to that difficulty. What are you using? The 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 sleeping or what? Yeah. Uh, uh, the, the full sleep. Okay, well, it's fine. Yeah. Same thing applies. Don't wait till you come to the point where you're all of a sudden noticing that, <gasps> now, what's that? But as it becomes finer and finer, you see whether there is that full feeling. So you don't wait that long. Can you try that? Because in the first is concentration, not concentration on the breath, so much you're not aware of the breath. You're not aware of the breath becoming so fine, okay. Then that's why you get past that point to the point where you have to take the deep breath. Okay, then have you noticed what happens with the sensations at that time? Before you took the big deep breath. I know it is involuntary but because we have to not use it so we'll have to get out of it have you noticed what's what's happening with the sensation at that time but have you found have you where you at that time uh, in were any of them pleasant at that time Um, then in that in that case the concentration is strong though so now don't compare with what you did last year <laughs> the comparison takes you out of the of the of the knowing don't compare because comparison is not attention you know so uh, be fully aware of what the con- what the the uh, sensation is and when you do that with the breath, of course, you have to start again with the concentration. So it's almost like a vicious circle. So try to be that aware of the sensation, of the sensations, that you do not have that happen, that you get past that point. I believe that you're getting past the point where the pleasant sensation starts. Try it out and see. I think you're getting past the point because otherwise you wouldn't have that fineness of breath. The two go together. So see what happens if you could <coughs> find that that um, that sens- the sensation that you can stay with. Hmm. And then suddenly there's a catch of breath. And it takes you out of it. 
but it's interesting but is it is it um is it um blissful enough to be overtaking everything else it's just interesting It's 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 yeah, but it's the the sensation itself is shallow, isn't it? going to do it together tomorrow morning see if it goes any better when I lead you through it and then you can come and tell me all about it in the interview okay okay uh, maybe not when I'm leading through maybe not we'll see okay right yes Richard Hmm. Um, hang on a minute. Let me see. <laughs> um, well, it is actually like this. Some for some people it's this way, for some it's that. Um, the sensation which arises is so much stronger than the breath that it takes your interest immediately to the sensation away from the breath. I think that would be probably the best way to say it. Um, at that time, the breath is very shallow and, and it is not very pronounced anymore because the mind is also not very pronounced. So the, the sensation really takes over. It's much, much stronger than the breath. And... Uh, Sometimes I have also had people say, now this is a really the most common way, right, what I've just said. But then I have had people say like this, that the breath, they couldn't find the breath anymore. And they didn't know what to do. And then they took quickly a deep breath to find it again, right? But if I told them then to look for the sensation, the sensation was actually there. And they were quite able to go to it. But because they were so uh, used to looking for the breath, that that's what they were looking for, right? So actually, if the breath becomes so that you can't quite find it, that is definitely there, and it may be shallow, 
It may be mild, as I said, weak, and it may be momentary. But if we note it, we can um, stay with it and try to see that it maybe it becomes stronger to make it a meditation center to enter. Right? Okay. Anything else? Yes. Um, does it take sixteen pieces instead of one coming from each square? Or no. Coming from the side of five or sixteen. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Anything. Anything will do. Um, it often comes from. It can easily come from a feeling of um, being overwhelmed by um, seeing a reality one has never looked at before. The mind uh, really feels quite different, and then it can come. It can come from devotion to Buddha, Dhamma, Sangha. It can come through loving-kindness meditation. That's a very good start for many people. And um, it can come through anything, but certainly through that, yes, yes, certainly. Anything else? No, I haven't talked about physical exercises at all. But doing yoga is always helpful. It, it helps to, particularly helps to sit better, I presume. Although I've seen yoga teachers who not, have not been able to sit. But it's, uh, it should be helpful. <laughs> but uh, in the Buddhist uh, discourses, there is um, um, certainly talk about looking after one's physical well-being but not 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 a word about exercise not a single word about it so physical well-being of course does include some exercise doesn't it and please put the attention on the breath for just a few moments Think of all the things in your life that you have that you can be grateful for. The people in your life, belongings, the opportunities, skills, anything that you can think of. 
that's part of your life and that you can be grateful for. And then fill yourself with gratitude for all these good things, especially for your ability to have and to practice a spiritual path. Let that gratitude fill you and surround you, making you feel contented, joyful, at ease. Put your attention on the person nearest you in this room and be grateful for that person's presence which supports your own practice. Fill him or her with your gratitude. Surround him or her with your gratitude. Extend your gratitude to everyone who is here. Everyone contributing to the group energy. Everyone <coughs> being necessary to have this group together. Have the gratitude to each person that they are here that we can practice together. Think of your parents. Fill them with your gratitude. Embrace them with your gratitude for all they've done for you, especially when you were too small to do anything for yourself. Let them know your gratitude because they're responsible for your life and your well-being when you couldn't do it yourself.
think of the people who are nearest and dearest to you, you may be living with. Be grateful that they're part of your life. Fill them with your gratitude. Embrace them with your gratitude. And letting them know how you feel that they are with you. Think of all your good friends and feel real gratitude in your heart that they are your friends, part of your life. Let them know it. Fill them with your gratitude. Embrace them with it. Let them feel it. Think of all the people who are part of your life, without whom life would not flow the way it does. The farmers in the field, the shoemaker makes your shoes, people who make the clothes. Postman, the salespeople, telephone exchange, all the people who make it possible for us to live the way we do, extend your gratitude to all of them and any of them that you can think of to provide you with the things that you need.
think of anyone whom you find difficult and be grateful to that person for the learning experience. Feel real gratitude that there is a learning situation which needs to be experienced by you. Feel and surround that person with your gratitude. Making the sting of it much less hurtful. And now let your heart overflow with gratitude and extend it outward to nature around you, the trees, the flowers, the meadows, the sky above us the sun and the moon and the stars, the rain, the ocean, the air around us, all making it possible for us to live. Let your gratitude flow out to that, to the creatures in the forest, on the meadows, in the grass, in the sky, in the water. To people everywhere, all searching for happiness, enduring, overcoming, living with us at the same time together none of us alone extend your gratitude embrace them with your gratitude let it flow from your heart to all that and all people and all creatures and to all that sustains us. And put your attention back on yourself and filled with gratitude, experience contentment. The joy 
of being. That's all. Just being. Experience that. Fill yourself and surround yourself with it. May beings everywhere have gratitude in their hearts.